Welcome to the Veterinary Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas. We're going to hit our sponsors here in just a second, then jump into the episode. But before we do, make sure you stick around throughout the end of the interview and check out the show notes for great opportunities for associateships, partnerships, and more. If you're a practice owner, you want to find great people, and you want to list a job opportunity or just looking for certain things that your peers out there that are veterinarians could um, benefit from, feel free to shoot me an email. Isaiah at veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. I will do my best to get those up at the end of different episodes. Um, There's no charge for that. My role, my job is to connect good people with good people. So with that, we will hit our sponsors and be right into the interview. If you're struggling to attract new staff or your team is experiencing burnout, pick up your phone and call Guardian Vets. Through virtual team solutions like after-hour triage, daytime virtual receptionists, callbacks, and telemedicine, Guardian Vets can help you have happy staff, happy clients, and a thriving business. Go to www.guardianvets.com and check Veterinary Success Podcast in the Where Did You Hear About Us section to get a free consultation and receive 50% off your first month of service. Don't wait. Check out guardianvets.com now. Find out for yourself why my friends at Shepherd Veterinary Software are the fastest growing practice management software. Hint, they're doing something right. Founded by Dr. Cindy Barnes, Shepard is an intuitive, easy-to-learn, streamlines practice management. Built for vets, by vets, it works for you and your team so you have more time to spend on what's most important, your patients. Shepard automatically updates the medical records, adds services to the invoice, generates discharge instructions, and so much more. Bring home more stories and less stress. Check them out at shepherd.vet. Again, that's shepherd.vet. Have you ever walked into a space and thought, wow, this is beautiful? There's a reason for that. Architecture has this innate ability to impact emotions and perceptions. My friends at Apex Design Build bring beautiful and functional spaces for veterinarians nationwide. Apex is a fourth-generation family-run company that is fully integrated from the design, architecture, and construction process to help you mitigate risks, eliminate surprises, save money, save time, and reduce the effort on your project. Check out their amazing work and have access to their square footage calculator to help you plan your expansion or new build. Click the link in the show notes for an exclusive offer and learn more about Apex Design Build. All right. So today I am joined by Dr. Zach Costin, who is the owner of Fulton County Veterinary Clinic in Rochester, Indiana. Dr. Zach is a recent owner and his experience is one that I think listeners will enjoy. I think it will give some encouragement and be meaningful. And so for that, I think their current owners will find some good value in this. I think aspirational owners will also find really good value in that. But Zach, first and foremost, thanks so much for uh, coming on the show. Isaiah, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. And so we connected through the Veterinary Financial Summit and you were a guest in one of the panels that I chatted on and you kind of messaged me like, hey, I think uh, could be a good guest. And so we were able to connect and with you being in Indiana, I'm like, heck yeah, let's make it happen. This is great. Always love connecting with fellow Hoosiers and, and chatting through things related to veterinary medicine. But for those that don't know you, and I would wager to guess most don't, when you think about kind of your history and background, and I know when we chatted kind of pre-call, right, there's a lot there. So these can be long episodes. So I want you to kind of give us the story of how you got to where you're at today. And I think really the interesting part that stuck with me was kind of the story of going through vet school as well. And I think that that would be meaningful for a lot of folks. So take it away from there. Okay. See, I'll start from the beginning. My mom's a registered nurse, so I've always been fascinated with the medical side. And I love animals. I've loved animals since I was a kid. My mother was like, if you do the research and you can take care of it, you can have it. Just make sure you can take care of it. So I've had a plethora of pets since I was a little kid. 
But I lucked out and got my essential dream job, my first job when I was 15 at a local animal hospital. And I've wanted to own a, basically wanted to own my own practice since I was 16 years old. So I spent my entire life working towards that. Now, I'm 2016 Purdue grad. was supposed to be 2015 Purdue grad because full transparency, I failed out of that school third year. Um, had some mental health issues. Some of the medication that I was on made me really foggy. And then I would get such bad test anxiety that I would literally talk myself out of the right answer on the exams. So that was a huge struggle there. But it was actually ended up being a blessing in disguise. My whole dream, my whole goal was to go back and on this practice that I'd worked at since I was a teenager. But then I realized how toxic the practice was after my best friend who I met through the practice quit there. So I realized that I need to look elsewhere to find a job after vet school. And the way I de-stress is with working out. And when I was in third year vet school, I was pulling all-nighters to try to catch up on studying. And I was getting more and more stressed and sleep deprived. And it just kind of spiraled. And I waited too long to ask for help with things with my clinicians and professors until it was too late. And I kind of had a breakdown finals week, a third year. So that ended up working out in the sense that I was able to redirect and refocus on trying to find someplace else to work because that first animal hospital was all I had ever known. So getting experience outside of that place was really helpful. So we ended up, I found an awesome practice in Wisconsin that I was, um, I was supposed to buy, but that ended up not working out, but I got a lot of experience there. I learned a lot there and I'm, I'm thankful for it, even though I ended up not buying it. But the not buying it portion was really hard for me. I'm the type of person who I I don't like working for somebody else. I like to be working towards a goal. From day one, I had told her that I wanted to buy the practice and she would introduce me to people as her retirement plan. And then unfortunately, she sold the practice to corporate and told me five days before she was selling that she was selling. So that hurt a lot. And I stayed on for a couple of years after that. But eventually, I got super burnt out there. I was on call a lot. And again, when I get tired, my mental health state suffers and I get depressed and it it just kind of spirals. And it, I got to the point where I was probably going to lose my marriage if something didn't change. My wife was like, look, you, I don't care where you go. It just, you need to find another place to work. I was taking charts home and working on those till 10 o'clock at night. I'd have people call me at one o'clock in the morning for non-emergency stuff that could easily waited. But when you're on call, you have to wake yourself up enough to where you can actually be coherent, make good decisions, and then I couldn't fall back asleep. So, again, just spiraling there. And because of my poor mental health, I was starting to become toxic to the clinic. And my medicine was suffering. And I, I wasn't performing at my best. And it was it was starting to get bad. So, thankfully, I started searching for uh, practice to buy, someplace to own, or just a new place to work at. And I found my clinic in Rochester. I wasn't, I wasn't very open-minded when we went to look at it because the building needed some love. But my wife kind of pushed me to, hey, just be open-minded about it. So I went there and shadowed a couple times. And the team is amazing. I love my team there. I can fix a building. It's much harder to build an amazing team. But everybody works really well together. We have a lot of fun together, too. We joke and laugh. And I hang out with several of my staff outside of work. But we're able to separate the work relationship and friendship very well. I I draw a distinct line with that because I can get a little hairy with that. And then my office manager, because I'd always wanted an office manager for any practice so I could practice medicine and focus more on that than on managing people. She decided to retire about three months ago. So my wife has stepped in 
as part of that role. She's not there nearly as often as my other office manager, but she helps do the paperwork and all that other stuff because she likes doing that. So that has been a little bit of an adjustment because I, I had literally told her that I never want to work with you ever because I think we would kill each other. But situation kind of forced us to work together and it's okay as long as she's not there a ton. I also had to draw that line where like, look at work. Technically I'm your boss and you're my employee and we need that separation. There can't be any like public displays of affection. There's not going to be any babe, honey, anything like that, like employee, employer. And you need to not question me in front of the staff and things like that. Like if you have something we need to talk about, we can talk about it away from the staff, but we need to present a united front in front of the staff. So that has definitely been a major adjustment. It's going well for the most part. It can be a little bit stressful at times, especially when neither one of us are having a good day and we're trying to keep it professional. Sure. We'll pull her here in for a second and be like, hey, this is how it's going to. No, it's good. Um, but I'm very similar with my wife. We're both like, we. it's good that we have separate things. Yeah, love you. Appreciate you. Amazing person, right? The yeah. reason you married the person. And it sounds like she's absolutely been instrumental in like understanding where you're at mentally and saying, hey, you need to take a step back. You need to do different things. But I guess let's stick on that and then I'll come back to the practice a little bit. Mm-hmm. So on the mental health piece you've talked about, there's been a couple of times where it's definitely gotten to the point where it's pushed you like to the edge, right? Yeah. What have you learned about yourself or things that have helped? I think you mentioned it, maybe it was in the, just before we clicked record about working out's definitely a big one for you, but is there anything else that you do that tries to remove yourself from being the doctor, the veterinarian to get away and like, just get your mind right? What do you try to do and what have you learned? So fishing is a big thing for me. I love to fish. I've been fishing since I was a little kid and just being out there peace and quiet where I can just disconnect and it's just me and nature. Like even if I'm not catching anything, just being out there. I like to kayak. I love having campfires and hanging out with my kids. Just being in a space where you can clear your head. I've tried doing like meditation a few times in the morning, which actually helps immensely, but just being able to clear your head and kind of relax and let that stress and anxiety go. When I, when I had an office manager, I would try to not talk about work or just disconnect from work when I got home, just so I could 100% be done with that for the day. Obviously, it's a little bit harder now with, with my wife being the office manager, but that helped immensely. And working out has always been a huge de-stressor for me, just that, that endorphin release. And I just cranked the heavy metal and just hit the weights and let it all out in the gym. So, And that's, I mean, the biggest thing, because I lost that during vet school. I was not able to do that. But when I had to repeat third year, I didn't have to take as big of a class load. And I was actually working like three jobs at the time, but I was also able to work out more. And that was my best year when it comes to like mental health, physical health, emotional health. So people who are in vet school, students who are in vet school, or just in general, whatever your de-stressor is, hang on to that. Because if you don't do it, it's just going to build and build and build. And then you're going to end up in a bad mental health situation. So force yourself to take that time to do whatever you enjoy that helps relax you and relieve that stress. Do you schedule it into your day? Let's say like working out or something. Do you like have that in your schedule where it's automatically this time's blocked? I'm not going to sacrifice that. Or do you do it where it's like, hey, depending on when I'm either morning or evening or are you regimented about that typically or is it kind of it depends i'm not super regimented about it like usually my wife and i'll be like so what do you want to get done today and we'll figure out each other's schedule and then it's usually on the weekends that i work out just because of having more time i'm not a morning person i hate mornings i get up at like five o'clock in the morning because i have a 20 minute drive to work so it's hard for me to get up in the morning and work out i've tried that and i'll do it for about three weeks consistently and then i'm just i can't get up early 
So I'm, I'm more of an afternoon person. Yeah. And I think that's another good thing to understand about yourself. But going back to the purchase of the practice, can you kind of go into a little bit of detail of, okay, how you found it, the discussions that were there? Because you didn't buy it outright instantly, right? No. So you were there a little bit of time. Can you share a little bit of that? Because I think that's yeah. interesting. So I found the practice through a broker. Total Practice Solutions is one of the big broker companies. I tried buying the practice outright. I didn't have enough in savings. They don't care about your student loans. As long as they're more worried if the cat if the practice can cash flow well. That's the biggest thing. So people who have massive student loans, don't worry about it. They don't care about those. So I didn't have enough in savings. And I worked there for two years before I bought it. The previous owner is an older gentleman. He's pretty elderly. So I bought 2% of the shares to get my foot in the door just so that way, heaven forbid something happened to him, I would have my foot in the door and it wouldn't end up getting, the practice wouldn't end up getting sold to some other party. So I bought 2% of the shares and then I had enough in savings where the bank felt comfortable loaning to me. The funny thing is the, the reason I had so much in savings is I actually borrowed money from the previous owner to put in my savings account to make it look more attractive to the bank. And then once that was over and done with, I, I gave it back to him. Like I wasn't going to be strapped for cash at all or hurting through this process, but the bank wanted a, a certain amount for me to have in savings. So the finance wise, I had tried Bank of America, tried Huntington and no, not to badmouth them or anything, but I couldn't get it through them. And then PNC Bank, I had talked to him a couple of years later and they basically was like shoving money at me. Like here, let's get this done. This cash flows well. They gave me a hundred thousand working capital. For the business, they financed the business completely, and I had to put 20% down for the real estate, but they financed the business 100%. So I ended up, uh, I think, 30000 down total out of my pocket. That was it. So it's, granted, it's a little bit more difficult in this market with the recession looming, but it is totally 100% doable. And my take-home pay has doubled since I bought the practice. So yes, there's obviously hardships with practice ownership. In the sense that you have to deal with staffing and all that stuff and clients. But at the end of the day, it's totally worth it. I am incredibly happy that I'm working for myself and not for somebody else. And a lot, the only person I have to answer to is me and I can practice the way I want to and make my culture the way I want to. Yeah. And for those that don't know, because again, I live in Indiana. I know where Rochester is. This is not a, it's not a booming metropolis, but it is near some other larger cities, it is a good area where you're not going to have a ton of different competition. So yeah, the value is going to be lower. And anyone that's listened to the podcast has heard me talk about, hey, go rule, go yep. outside of the major metro area. You can probably find a pretty good practice that maybe is a little bit more affordable. And I think your story and what you did is like exactly that. It's not out in the middle of nowhere where you're not connected to anything. Like you can still go and probably do anything you want to do within you know an hour's drive max. right? And then from there, it's like, there's not going to be a new hospital popping up with, you know, a corporate consolidator next door because Rochester's not going to attract that at the moment, maybe down the road, but at the moment, you're not going to see quite as much competition. So it gives you some of that freedom and flexibility, which leads into the same thing with the team. You talked about that, like, yeah, the additional stress with the team, but what's interesting. And I think also really cool is the culture that you talked about where you have those relationships, both outside of work and then inside of work. Can you talk a little bit about the team, the relationship, and then you've had some folks that you've had to see turnover, hire. And what's hiring like for someone that's not in that major metro area? Has it been harder, easier? It can be difficult. It's really hard to find skilled people. But I'm willing to train people. You need to have a good attitude. You need to be open-minded. We've had some issues with staff kind of thinking they know everything. And 
you're never going to know everything about medicine. Like the whole medicine is ever evolving field. So you need to be willing and open to learn and ready and have that drive. I want people who have that drive who want to improve themselves. I don't want somebody who's just going to like show up to work and just kind of drudge through. I want somebody who's willing to learn. I have a couple of my vet assistants that one of them's in tech school right now. And I, she's just doing Penn Foster online. I said, I'll pay for that. Like I will gladly pay for that. You're improving yourself. So things like that, it can be a little bit difficult to find those skilled, skilled workers. But if you put in the time and the energy and find somebody with a good personality and a good head on their shoulders, it can be worth it. We have a really low turnover. Honestly, we've had more turnover since I bought it than we have previously. And that's just because I've been letting go. I had to fire a couple of people who were just kind of complacent with their job and I wasn't a big fan of their attitude. But overall, we have a pretty low turnover. My head tech has been there for, I believe, 11 years now. And so, and most of the other staff have been there for five plus years. And then have you made any bigger changes since purchasing the business as far as things that you offer to those that are coming in, any big equipment changes? What does it look like since you've taken over? Has it been pretty much like, okay, some minor tweaks here and there, or has it been a bigger overhaul from that standpoint? It's been a pretty big overhaul and we've definitely lost some clients, but as much as as a veterinarian, I want to be able to take care of everybody. I can't do that and still pay the bills. So I am definitely fostering a better client culture and training my clients better to like, I've increased my prices pretty significantly on stuff, but that also kind of weeds out your C and D clients that are going to be the ones who shop around for everything and aren't going to be the ones who come in consistently and just aren't going to help pay your bills and take good care of your staff. And they're usually also the clients who want to argue about every penny. And it's not worth dealing with that and bringing your practice culture down. When your staff has to deal with those unruly clients, it just makes it stressful for everybody. Nobody wants to work there. That's not the type of clientele I want to foster. So we have brought in an ultrasound, super basic ultrasound, but I wanted to see how often I'd use it first. And I I use it a lot for cystocentesis and things like that. I brought in a surgical laser, a CO2 surgical laser that I use on all my surgeries. I used to give that as an option to clients. It's a $50 price increase for neuters and spays, but the nice thing, it cuts as it cauterizes. So there's a lot less bleeding and which makes, which makes my surgeries actually quicker because I don't have to sit there and try to ligate all the vessels that are bleeding. But starting next year, it's just going to be across the board, $50 fee to the, to the surgery. And that's also how I pay for that too. Cause that thing was 60 grand. So, <laughs> so I, I yeah. financed it, but, and then we also have cold therapy layer cold therapy laser, which we had before it broke for about a year. And then we got another one, but cold therapy laser, we do that on all our post-op patients. It's just something that we, that uh, helps with healing. And it's a $20 charge that gets added onto the surgical price, but it really helps speed up healing. We also use it a lot for the interval tebral disc disease dogs, the ones with uh, spinal disease, essentially ones with blown, blown knees, blown cruciate ligaments, things like that. So our standard of medicine has gone up significantly. We also thankfully got dental x-rays, which we didn't have for a while because dental x-ray, dental radiographs are kind of just standard to care these days. And then we went from cassette to digital. We went from cassette to digital to full digital x-rays. So we've definitely upped our standard of care. And I mean, with that, we're practicing better medicine. And unfortunately, practicing good medicine costs more money. So our prices have gone up and some people have complained about it and gone elsewhere. But again, those are the people I don't want to. I don't want to foster that type of clientele. I have people who drive anywhere from like half hour to hour to see me. Some people drive from Indianapolis, which is two hours away to come see me. I don't yeah, know why. I mean, that's, it's a little but, bit of a haul. Yeah, it's a little bit of a haul. Awesome. So we do have clientele that comes from all over to come see us because they enjoy us and, and enjoy what we do. And we practice good medicine.
So, and I also see exotics too. I don't do birds a whole lot just because they're pretty complex, but I do see like all the pocket pets, reptiles, things like that. So if people drive to come see us there, cause there's not a whole lot of that around. Yeah, that makes sense. You mentioned, and one thing I'll just let the listeners know, you were like, yeah, if I say anything, ask questions, I'm an open book, I'll listen to their stuff. Yeah. But when you say it price increases significantly, can you give like a range of like what it was before? Like, is this a 20, 25%? Like, and then how did you think about increasing, I guess would be the, the follow-up yeah, to that too. Yeah, depending on what it is, probably about 20, 25%. Yeah, so, significant. Yeah, we used to just... Like my previous office manager, when we were talking about pricing and spays and everything, and spays and neuters, she's like, well, we just lose money on spays and neuters because those are price shops, so we try to keep them cheap. And I'm like, that's we should still be making money off these things. Just because people price shop doesn't mean we can't make money off these. Like We need to be getting some profit off of this so we can pay our staff better. And when I took over, I gave everybody a small raise. And then this past year, I gave everybody a 2 to $3 raise across the board. So I want to keep my staff happy. And they're also very well trained. But in order for me to be able to pay them that well, obviously we have to increase prices. So I do a lot of itemization when it comes to my spays and neuters and my surgeries in general. It used to be like our spays and neuters are standard stuff. It used to be grouped together a lot. And I'm like, well, that's all fine and dandy. But if I have a nine-year-old super fat 100-pound dog that takes me twice as long as a smaller dog, we need to be charging accordingly for that. And if I have to end up using three packs of suture instead of one, like we need to be charging accordingly for that. So. That's why I itemize things because it helps make up for that difference. And when you're doing something tiny or something huge, there's going to be a pretty significant price difference. So we do give people an estimate. We also have built into our forms that they sign for hospitalization and surgery that, yes, we gave you an estimate, but we reserved the right for a 20, 25% cost difference off of that estimate because stuff happens. Yeah. Thank you for that. That's great. And I was going to ask about just areas for like return on investment in investment just in the future. But with some of the different things that you've added, I mean, that obviously helps with profitability, paying the staff more, like that all makes perfect sense. And it'd be very different if you came in, did these different things, raised prices and like, yep, you're everything stays the same for you, but now I'm just going to make more, right? Like yeah. you have to take care of the people that are there too. So love yep. that. I really focus on my practice culture and taking care of my staff. So that way they'll take good care of my clients. Yep. It makes sense. Again, that seems like, oh, duh, that's dumb. And that's super basic, right? Like, Zach, everyone does that. It's like, no, but they really don't. That's <laughs> they the don't, thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's why the bar is low sometimes for people out there, which is unfortunate. When you think about the future outside of the building, so it sounds like you still have a little TLC that you want to do there. Is there anything else that you'd like to bring into the practice or do you feel like you're in a really good spot right now? I feel like I'm in a really good spot right now when it comes to like diagnostic tools. I focused on that this first year because that's going to give me the best return on my investment. And then next year, we're going to focus on renovating the building. So I'm getting that a little bit, a little bit nicer. Because like I said, like the team's great. We're pretty much set on where I want the team to be. We got rid of some of those bad apples. And now we can focus on renovating the building and getting that nice and pretty. I've always been a functional over function over form type person. Like I'm not a designer clothes person. I really don't care what something looks like. If it works well, I'm good with that. And that's kind of where our building's at right now. Sure. But I definitely want it to be nicer. But if I drop 20 grand on floors, that's I'm not getting any return from that. So I wanted to focus on getting that return first or potentially getting a urine analyzer machine. But other than that, I'm pretty happy with where everything's at. I feel like the biggest thing a lot of new owners need to understand is you can finance everything. Like finance, 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 because you want that cash flow. 
Like it's all about the cash flow. Don't worry that you're going to be paying it for six years. If you can cash flow it and make a extra 500 to a thousand bucks a month off it and it's better medicine, do it. Yeah. Love that advice. And yeah, even as rates have gone up and rates have been historically like stupid cheap, it's still, if this is something that I can charge more for, and it sounds like for you, it's like, Hey, this laser, like we're going to add $50 to that, like understanding how many of these things do I need to do and how's the payback period versus how I finance it. Yeah. I mean, does the math work? If the answer is yes, then let's go. Can you talk a little bit about your plans for the future? Because I know one thing that you mentioned is you don't necessarily want to hire associates if I took notes correctly. Is that? No, I do. I do want to hire associates because we we have enough. So the previous owner is working for me and an associate right now, but he's retiring at the end of the year. I do have a couple consistent relief vets that come in about one to two days a week. And we definitely have the revenue, like we're set to make about 1.6 million in revenue this year. So we definitely have the amount of patients for a second vet. We could easily be a two and a half doctor practice as we're booking stuff out a month, if not longer. So I do want to hire another, it's it's just so hard finding associates and we're competing with corporations that are offering a hundred thousand, 150,000 sign on bonus, which is essentially a retention bonus. It's not truly a sign on bonus. You have to work for two to four years to get that. But the biggest problem with that is, so the more seasoned veterinarians kind of understand the corporate thing and yes, they'll show these big numbers in front of your face, but then you're going to be busting your butt and working 50, 60 hours a week sometimes. And that's a retention bonus. You're locked in for four years if you want to get that full thing. But the new grads are seeing these big numbers and, oh, that's a lot of money. And yes, it's a lot of money, but it comes with stipulations. And sometimes those stipulations are not a great work environment, things like that. Not to badmouth every single corporation because they're not all like that. So with that, it's much harder to hire new grads because of competing with big corporations and those big numbers still throw out. A lot of what I'm seeing, though, is after those new grads go work for these corporations for two, three years, they get burnt out and want to find someplace new or just leave the field completely, which is awful because we're in a huge shortage already. And then you have veterinary staff leaving the field because they've had such a crappy experience at their first job. So, I mean, where you work at can make or break you, especially in veterinary medicine, especially if you go to a place where you just get worked to the bone and you don't have any mentorship. So I focus a lot on work-life balance, even though I'm a workaholic. I try to focus on work-life balance for my staff. Sure. Um, we actually reduced hours. So we used to be open Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 7.30 to 5, and then Tuesday, Thursday, 7.30 to 6. Most of my staff have young families. We're all about the same age. And most of them live anywhere from 20 to 30 minutes away, if not longer. So I drop back the hours from 7.30 to 5 across the board so they can get out of there a little bit earlier. And let's be honest, we never get out of there at 5 anyways because we got callbacks to catch up on and records. And then we used to be open two Saturdays a month for doctor hours. And then the other two Saturdays a month would be like patients or clients could come in and pick up meds or pick up their pets from boarding. But I did away with Saturday hours completely. For one, it was pushing a lot of my staff into overtime and we would make a very minimal profit then. And two, I just can't work five, six days a week when an older vet retires. So it's actually been a lot better for my staff too. They were extremely happy that we were doing away with Saturdays. I'm sure more time with their family and, I want to keep them happy so they keep everybody else happy. So how do you think about trying to recruit a, I mean, are you actively trying to find that associate now? Like if you. Yeah, I am. We're using Indeed right now. I'm in the process of revamping my ad, excuse me, in the process of revamping my ad. So everybody has the same basic ad and 
one thing that caught me with my first job is like the first line she said Confucius say if you should say if you love your job you'll never work a day in your life which is obviously not what Confucius said but it was an eye catcher it was something kind of cute it showed me that they're different that they can they're kind of fun and want to and laugh and joke so I'm revamping my ad to kind of reflect more of that because like I'm a pretty laid-back person as a boss like we have so my techs have a bunch of piercings. One of my receptionists has full sleeves on both arms. Uh, they got tattoos, dyed hair. Like, I don't care about that. Like, I don't care how you look as long as you, as long as you look somewhat professional and uh, you do your job well. So I'm real open to diversity and everybody has their own specific things they're good at. We'll focus on those and then help those grow. And I think what you talked about, like if I'm you or I'm sitting in a similar situation around the country, it is... Who is working at the, call it local, so somewhere around where they can maybe commute to work for me for those big corporations that have been there a couple of years? Let's go start having conversations. Hey, let's meet for coffee or, hey, like proactively reach out to them because maybe they aren't looking yet. But if you show them that, hey, here's the opportunity, we can do some different things. And then whatever the structure it is, because for some people, they might say, hey, that's great. I don't want to do private practice and have ownership. I just want to be associate. And you might say, hey, that's perfect. Or someone else might be trying to find you know, they don't want to do it alone. They want a partner and maybe that's perfect fit. And for someone else, they're like, yeah, I don't want a partner. I just want a really good associate. So, I mean, candidly, that's been the playbook that I've used for our, our team, right? Is, is going to firms that I know, Hey, this is where they're at. What's going on. There's one specific firm that it's like, I know I can go basically recruit those people constantly whenever we're ready to hire. Cause they're nice. trained well, but they get to the point where they get burnt out. They don't like mm -hmm. it. They say one thing, but then when you get inside culturally, cause it's VC backed, it's not the same way anymore as they've grown. And so there's people that are good people want to do the right things that are just in the wrong spot. So, I mean, I would use that like, Hey, it's easy to go find those people. Just look and then figure out a way to somehow connect with them. Or maybe they went to the same school or something where you can connect with them that way too. So. Yeah, I've definitely, uh, I've tried doing that a little bit through Facebook for some of the classmates or ones that are a couple classes before or behind me. I've also a couple of my staff I've gotten through word of mouth just because I, I got one staff member and then I pulled a couple more because they were talking to him and told him, hey, you should come get a job here. So That's awesome. And yeah. I think that is, again, a, a testament to good culture when you have your team recruiting for you. Like anytime yeah. that that's happened and it's not been that challenging, it's usually a team that works really well together. So it's great. I want to ask you, and I haven't asked this to any other owners. I don't know why. And I'm like, I'm gonna, I need to start asking this. So if there's a service product system currently not available or you don't have it, what would you want it to be? What would you create? What would you want someone to provide for you that, that's out there that would make life easier as a practice owner, as a veterinarian? That's a really good question. I wish we had, like we have Cornerstone for our software program and it's supposed to have a pretty good inventory management and it doesn't. The inventory management is awful. So I would really like to have better inventory management software that we can use to track our inventory better. Because I like to keep a inventory low, keep our overhead low. Mm -hmm. So that would be super helpful. And I haven't really found a great software program out there for that yet. So that would be really super helpful. Yeah. Well, and I can think of several owners that I know that they have someone, yeah, on the team that kind of runs that. Yes, it's there, right? But it's like, there's still a person that is going to be dedicated to spending time on inventory yeah. just because it's become a bigger issue or we used to be a really good job and now we've grown and been so busy and we don't focus on it anymore as much. And hey, all of a sudden it's reared its head and that's a problem. So I don't think you're alone there. And I think everyone talks about it, but it's like, is it a good enough thing that's usable and workable from that standpoint? What haven't I asked about from 
an ownership or the acquisition process that you think someone that would be interested or an aspirational owner out there should know? I think your idea of like the financing piece, I love that. I've talked about it, but I think it's great coming from you. But is there any other, I guess, nuggets, words of wisdom for someone that's out there that wants to be a practice owner that maybe hasn't yet or is like feeling a little bit disenchanted with the failed succession attempts like you had, right? Yeah. So a big thing is people worry about student loans and how that's going to affect them getting a loan through a bank. They don't care about student loans. They honestly, they know you went to school. It's not good debt, but it's not bad debt. Keep your credit card debt low. Don't go super crazy with buying a big house or big car. And banks are willing to loan to veterinarians because we're a safe bet. We have one of the lowest default rates on our loans in the entire industry across the world, whatever you're talking about. So we are a safe bet and banks are really willing to loan to us. It's going to get a little bit more difficult with the recession coming up, but if you can find a good lender and definitely don't get discouraged if one or two lenders turn you down, call around. There's going to be somebody out there who's willing to loan to you if the business cash flows well. That's the biggest thing they want to see is if the business cash flows well and if you can pay back that loan that you're going to get. And honestly, most of the banks will finance the business portion of the practice 100%. Ideally, if you can buy the real estate, highly recommend doing that. I have that set up for a triple net lease where I charge the business a certain amount of rent per month and I get to pocket the rest after I pay the mortgage for the real estate. So I make 3400 bucks a month off of that. I'm just sitting there letting that cash roll in. So ideally, if you can buy the real estate too, awesome. But if you can't, it's not that big a deal. You may just want to try doing that down the road. And I know it's a hard thing to do, but if you can get your foot in the door in a smaller practice or older practice that's not doing as well, and work to slowly turn that around, you can make some pretty big money there if you're willing to put in the time and effort. So it's much harder to get into one of these bigger five, six, seven doctor practices. They're going to go for millions of dollars and that the corporates are going to want to snatch up pretty quick. So if you can get into a smaller practice, two, three doctor practice or smaller and put in that time and that work, it'll pay dividends in the end. Because you can grow that practice to five, six, seven doctors if you want to down the road and turn around and sell it for millions. So start small, put in the time, put in the effort. It might be some long days, but it'll be worth it in the end. Yeah. And I would say you buying the real estate and the practice at the same time doesn't always happen. I see it occasionally, but sometimes that's a big bite to have. But if you can't, it's really, really important that you have the right you know, the first right of refusal to buy that real estate because you don't want someone else to, again, get sold out from under you or anything else. So just get that in writing where you're like, hey, this is the lease agreement, but I'm the one that gets to purchase that in the future. So you've listened to the show before. I typically will ask people if they have a question for me, any questions on your mind that you want to ask me? It can be veterinary related or completely opposite (laughs) of that, but anything you want to throw out there? So how badly do you think the recession is going to affect us? Because I feel like- (laughs) <laughs> I, I, as, well, veterinary industry-wise, we'll, we'll say sure, veterinary sure, industry-wise. Sure, sure. Yeah. Because I feel like, honestly, the veterinary industry is relatively recession-proof, but that's my two cents. Well, and I picked up that you mentioned that a couple different times. I thought about bringing it up and, and kind of unpacking it. I'm like, you know, I'm just going to let that let sit. But so that's funny that you bring that up because, yeah, I absolutely believe, A, we're kind of already in a recession if you look at it from that perspective. But you even mentioned it. I think it's going to impact everyone differently, but historically, right? And you can look at, hey, history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. Veterinarymedicine.com bus, great financial crisis, COVID has kind of weathered some of these big challenging moments for small businesses really well. And if you look at big picture, right? Pet ownership, millennials, all these other things, you have these big forces that are pushing more pet care out there. 
the veterinary shortage. Like there's a lot of things that all kind of like triangulate around to say, hey, not a bad time to be a veterinary practice owner. Now, do I think COVID and this rush of new puppies and new pets like was this huge extra surge and maybe it slows down? Sure. Maybe you're not going to schedule out as far. Like you just talked about, you're scheduling out quite a ways. Maybe it slows down a little bit, but are you going to have a clinic that's empty and no one's calling and no one needs care? No. So I do think the thing from the recession piece is depending on where you're at and how competitive it is, you might have to go back and think about this M word called marketing. Like how do you get creative to make people know who you are to be able to differentiate where they're not just going to price shop? Because for the average non-clinical mind like Isaiah, if I'm in a pinch a little bit, maybe all of a sudden I'm going to say, hey, I'm going to price shop this versus, hey, I'm on social media. I'm seeing this stuff. I know, you know, Dr. Zach's awesome. I'm going to go there because I know that he'll do a good job. And I have a little bit of a relationship because I know who that person is versus just saying, hey, I'm just going to call and figure out who can do this cheaper. And again, cost is always going to matter no matter how much we want to all get on our high horse and say, hey, we do the best medicine. Like people aren't going to price shop me. And like at some point, people will have to pull back, but typically they're not going to pull back in, in an area, especially with the ability for pets, how that dynamic, that relationship has changed. There's going to be certain people that they won't care, right? They're going to be like, hey, it's just whatever the bottom dollars. Like you said, if you're not seeing those people as much, turning them away or they're just not coming. Yeah. But yeah, from a recession standpoint, I think, yeah, financing might get a little bit harder for equipment and stuff where people, you know, maybe the financial institutions aren't going to lend as much. So maybe you say, hey, I need to start paying or having more cash on hand for some of those things. I think that probably is a thing that's realistic to think about. And then, yeah, if we see higher inflation for longer, what you did, I think helps stem that. But your staff is going to be saying, I need to get paid more like I can't afford to live. And so you're going to get more and more people pushing from an ownership perspective, that side of it. So could profitability get squeezed a little bit? Sure. So I guess that's kind of the bigger picture. But yeah, I mean, I would much rather be in veterinary medicine, a lot of other places. And I know some things recently with people in the industry where they're still big money. Now, is it as big as it was 18 months ago? No, but it's still higher than pre-COVID levels for practices. And there's still a lot of money coming into this space because they, they look at history as well. And when I say they, it's private equity, high net worth investors, venture capital, like these people that are raising funds, they still want to put money into veterinary medicine. And there's a reason for that. So ownership is smart. It makes sense when you can, you still finance things at a low rate and and see a great return from a profit margin perspective. So, I mean, what do you think? You think about the recession, like, is there anything that you're doing differently? Do you think about the way that you run your business differently now than the way you did before? Not too much. I'm definitely giving Asking more people if they need to, like, do we need an estimate today? Where's your budget at? Things like that. Because I know people are a little bit more strapped for cash, but I haven't changed a whole lot. And I mean, unfortunately, with giving raises, my prices have to go up a little bit too. And because like the cost for lab work and things like that is going up for me, that I have to pass it on to the clients too. So it's a double-edged sword and can be a little bit difficult. But thankfully, like this time of year always slows down in veterinary medicine in general. You get the holidays. People are spending money on presents, have less disposable income to, to spend on their pets. So we'll have to see what springtime brings because that's always when we ramp up with the amount of pets we're seeing. But right now I haven't changed a whole lot. I did a price increase here recently. I mean, services are where you make your money at. You don't make your money on products that much. Services are where you make your money at. But I tried to make sure with my price increase that I, I haven't priced myself out of being affordable. 
and I probably won't do another price increase for the next six to 12 months unless I absolutely feel it's needed. How are you verifying or checking to see if you're pricing people out? Like, I mean, are you doing like the mystery shopping to other local competitors or are you just kind of trying to think through who's coming in? How do you check that or how do you do that internally? Yeah, we were going to do the mystery shopping, but we never got around to it. So I'm just kind of checking the people who come in, giving them estimates and seeing where their budget is at. I mean, honestly, one of the biggest expenses is surgery. Like I did a post-op scrotal abscess the owner had let the dog chew open his incision site from day one so the scrotum had got all infected and was huge and swollen and it took me an hour and a half and three packs of suture to try to fix that and put it back together well i ended up removing a scrotum and trying to close all that up had we priced what we normally priced at it would have been fourteen hundred dollars so i adjusted that down to about nine hundred dollars well it was still a big surgery and Theoretically, I should charge with 1400 but I also feel like that's a bit excessive for that. And I knew the owner probably couldn't afford that, so we dropped it down to about 900 bucks, which is still, I mean, pretty big chunk of change. Obviously, my profit margin is going to be a lot lower on that, but I felt that was worth it in this instance. And then there's times where I did a mass removal, and it was 2500 bucks because it took us three hours and 10 packs of suture because the thing had so much blood supply. And in that instance, I charged the full 2500 because it, it, uh, it was a whole big disaster, and I had to have... One technician running anesthesia and one technician helping me hold this seven and a half pound mass on the side of this dog while I while I try to cut it. So I will adjust prices if I feel they're warranted. I and sometimes I do as much as I push people to do like care credit is what we offer and I don't we don't typically offer payment plans. I will every once in a while offer a payment plan and I also have a couple of those good clients that I know are going to pay me every month that I will let them put charges on their account, but I trust them to pay me. So. It kind of goes by case-by-case basis, although we don't offer payment plans. We'll do that as a very, very last resort, but I tend to get burned on those, unfortunately. So, no, That makes sense. As we wrap up, so A, first and foremost, if you're an associate that wants to live in the great state of Indiana, sounds like there's a good opportunity, so you can reach out. But where would you send people to connect or chat with you? How do they reach out? You can either email my wife or I. Her email address is fc. F is in Frank, C is in Charlie, V is in Victor, C is in Charlie, dot Samantha at Gmail. And then my email address is arboreals.rock, A-R-B-O-R-E-A-L-S, and then rock, R-O-C-K, at Gmail. I got a lot of junk mail, so if you want to um, put like Fulton County Vet Clinic in the in the subject line, that'd be awesome. But Or you can call the clinic just reach out and call the clinic. That'd be a good way to do that too. So that way we filter out some of those emails that may get stuck in the spam. But yeah, I will gladly talk to any owners if they want to pick my brain. Like I said, I'm an open book. I really don't have any boundaries. So I'll gladly talk finances, things you can do to help improve your bottom line. And honestly, I really like helping people improve their business. I consider myself pretty business-minded. I want the veterinary community to succeed, especially private owners. I feel like we need to keep practices more private. I feel like corporate medicine is kind of hurting our industry. Granted, it's helped with some of the salary increases, but I feel like it's kind of hurting our industry. So I would love to talk to owners and talk about ways to make their practice more profitable. Love it. Thank you for the time. Uh, Appreciate you spending time in your day off. And this was great. So till next time, hopefully we can connect at some point in the future as well, since we're not too far away. But thank you for your time today. That'd be awesome. You're very welcome. Thanks Thanks for having me. All right. So there are a lot of 
new job postings. I'm going to read through these. Again, please let me know if you reach out, connect with anyone, and this becomes a full-time or part-time opportunity for anybody. So the first one is a Central Indiana private practice equine or companion health practitioner, Janice in Veterinary Clinic. So JVC is a six-doctor, team-oriented, AHA-accredited hospital with a focus on progressive veterinary medicine, quality patient care, and excellent client relations. Four-day work week with rotating Saturdays, dedicated assistant or licensed veterinary technician, Compensation is a base and bonus structure. Lots of benefits, too many for me to list. Bayside Hospital for Animals. Great work-life balance in beautiful Fort Walton Beach, Florida. Minutes away from the beach. Who doesn't love that? No weekends, Monday to Friday, 8 to 5. No on-call or emergencies. Currently a two-and-a-half doctor. Non-corporate, small animal practice. Uh, lots of growth in that area. Associate position, happy to offer mentorship for new grads. ProSal uh, with lots of benefits. Too many for me to list as well. Point Grey Veterinary Hospital in Vancouver, beautiful British Columbia, Canada. Associate Veterinarian with ownership opportunities for the right person, privately owned, fear-free certified, and they are one of three in the lower mainland. No catches, no hidden terms, no negative accrual, no non-compete, fully transparent. Be part of an inclusive team, a company you have a voice in, salary up to 170, including a 22 to 25% commission, visa sponsorship considered. Newport Veterinary Hospital, Newport Vermont, growing, thriving, rural, small animal practice with a touch of daytime urgent care on the uh, Vermont-Quebec border, seeking the right veterinarian to enjoy the team, full-time preferred, but part-time considered as well, privately owned, value the staff and doctors equally with clients and patients, core values are integrity, motivation, empowerment, cleanliness, education, and compassion. If you love the outdoors, Vermont's hard to beat, list a ton of stuff for you to do there, um, and on compensation. Basically, it's bottom line. You can write your own ticket within the boundaries of production. The goal is the forward-thinking owner is reasonable, would love to chat, and build something that fits for you. And so there are open discussions there on that front. Associate veterinarian, part-time or full-time, Fulton County Veterinary Clinic uh, in Indiana. Uh, are you looking for an oasis in the chaos? Do you want to be valued for your individuality and ingenuity? They offer and strive to foster a fun, fast-paced work environment while providing quality patient care, utilize support staff effectively so that the doctor is available to do more medicine and less time doing paperwork. No emergency on call, no after hours, no weekend work will ever be required. Um, flexible scheduling, competitive salary between 100 and 150,000. Signing bonus benefits, uh, too many to include, but one interesting one there as well is a mental health sabbatical. So those are all the offerings. I'm sure there will be more at some point. I'm going to have to say I can't read all of them, but uh, if you have one, keep them coming. And I hope that is helpful. With that, thank you so much for listening as always. And I love feedback. So let me know if there's anything you would like to hear more about or things you want to hear less about. And with that, have a great week. Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should not be taken as investment, tax, or legal advice. All comments are for educational purposes only. You should consult your team before implementing anything. Isaiah Douglas is a partner of Vincier Wealth Management. Isaiah is registered in the state of Indiana, California, Texas. The biggest compliment you can give to this podcast is to share it with a friend. Reviews help the show get found, and Apple Podcasts is the platform that predominantly is how people listen to the show. If you have three to five minutes, you like the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts, give us an honest rating and review. That'll help more people find the show. For all of today's links and information, head over to veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. There you can subscribe via your favorite podcast platform platform so you won't miss another episode. Finally, if you'd like more information, insights, and have the ability for your voice to be heard and interact with show guests, join the private Facebook group. You can go to the Veterinary Success Podcast on Facebook or head over to the veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. Scroll all the way to the bottom where it says about your host and then click on the Facebook icon. That'll bring you into the Facebook group. 
I'll approve you. You'll be in. And then I'd love to hear your questions, feedback, and anything that you'd like to see added to the show. So with all that, thank you so much for listening. I'll be talking again to you soon.